podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. If you're always searching for your next great adventure or seeking answers to complex questions, if you think of yourself as someone who takes charge, is there for others, breaks down barriers, or sees the world for what it can be, then you're just what we're looking for. CIA is searching for women of all skill sets with these traits and others to join the Directorate of Operations and help protect our nation. Visit CIA.gov careers. See yourself here. Celtic State of Mind, it's Friday, end of another week and I'm joined as always by Tony Haggerty and Jim Orr. Tony, how you doing? I'm very well, Laura, yourself? Not too bad, Jim, how about you? Good, Laura, we want to go. Good, good. <laughs> um, we'll start off with uh, as much of a positive as we can get this week. As everybody knows, I've taken to, since the end of the season, started doing a wee quiz on Twitter. So the night before uh, every Friday show, I put a wee uh, snapshot of a player's career without their name on it, and you have to guess who it is. So for everybody in the comments, thanks for all your replies. Uh, it was, of course, the unforgettable body, Bobby Murdoch. Uh, one of the Lisbon lines. Some say the greatest Lisbon line. Um, Jim, I'll come to you first. You, you'll undoubtedly have some memories of him as a player, um, and uh, I'd love to hear what you think of him and, and and what you think about the. Oh, there you go, there you go. Another replug for Tony's book in there. <laughs> I think you should ask Tony first. I think. You oh well, we'll go, to, we'll go to we'll go to Tony first. We'll go to Tony first. I was go- that, See, the problem was I was thinking about this, Jim. I was thinking, should I go to Jim first or Tony first? And I thought back Tony to first. the Hillsborough episode, and I thought I don't want to leave you high and dry after Tony's unforgettable no, no. words. But I'll take your Tony advice. Tony, he's a your ball, Mister by Tony Haggerty. All good bookshops, five ninety nine. And there's yeah, a picture so of the author cool. on the back. Picture. <laughs> Handsome man on the back, Tony Haggard. What a handsome man. Tremendous we'll wordsmith. Go... He's a tremendous wordsmith. Tremendous wordsmith. Tremendous. We'll go to that wordsmith first then, Tony. We'll come to you. And What are your thoughts on Bobby Murdoch? Jim and I know them, but uh, t- tell the folks that are watching. Yeah. I. You know the story coming up and I'm, I always kind of... It's difficult. Not so difficult to tell it, but it's... Anyway, I'll go and see how far I get. My father introduced me to football, took me to see my hero as a kid, which was Kenny Dalgleish. And through my job, I got to meet my hero, Kenny Dalgleish, and I did stuff, and as Jim says, it's in the book. <clears throat> but uh, and through the various people you meet that the job introduced you to, I was introduced to a comedian called Pat Rowling, who, got, who was very friendly with the Lisbon Lions. And so one night he asked me to do a panel night 
and uh, you appear alongside lesbian lines. You know, there's <coughs> three lesbian lines to be Jinky, Bertie, Bobby Murdoch, and you at the end as a pantomime villain from the Daily Record. <coughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and you say to yourself, there's the European Cup winners medal and a Scottish school select, mm. Scottish Cup winners badge between you. You know what I mean? The big trophies in football. But through that, I did, I did quite a lot of them and I got really friendly with Bobby Murdoch. And people tell me he was a world-class player. Jim will never tell you that. My dad told me he was a world-class player. But he was a world-class human being. And if you got to see Bobby Murdoch play, then I think you should count yourself fortunate and really lucky. But if you got to know him as a person, then I consider myself blessed at that. And I did. And it broke my heart when he passed away because he was just a wonderful, wonderful man. And he always gave the credit to other players. He would say to him, you're a world-class and he would say, I had Bertie, I had Jinky, I had Tommy Gemmel, and my job was easy. That kind of thing. He was just so humble and down to earth. So one night, we're in the, the brazen head, and it's, my, it's Bobby Murdoch, Jimmy Johnson, Bertie Old, and myself. We're doing a panel night. And as ever, I took my dad along. I said, Dad, when you come, let's do this. And we're driving down, and my dad turns to me and says, do you know Bobby Murdoch's my all-time football hero, son? And I was just, I was astounded. I was shocked. The words just pierced me. And I was like, no. And I said, why did I know that? And so we walk in and the three of the lesbian lions are sitting there in an entourage. And I walk up and I know them and I say hello. And I say, can I introduce you to somebody? I said, this is my dad. So I said, dad, that's Bobby Murdoch. That's Jimmy Johnson. That's Bertie Old. <laughs> my dad says, I know who they are, son. <laughs> And so I kind of laugh and I say, right, fair enough, of course you do. And Bobby Murdoch stands up and he says, Danny, he says, yeah, he says, do you fancy a pint? And the, and he goes like that and he puts his arm around him and the two of them walk to the bar. So I just sort of watch the two of them. And, and I've said that people often ask me what my best interview is, best interviewee, and I can't narrow it down to one, but I narrow it down to a moment. And it's that moment seen my dad walking to the bar with Bobby Murdoch uh, talking to his football hero and it was just kind of my way taking him along that night of just saying thank you for everything really and so I disappeared you can hear my voice <laughs> and I go to the toilet and I just sit in the cubicle and, I, and I'm in tears <clears throat> so eventually I square myself up and I come out and at the table and there's my dad sitting with the three of them, holding court and talking and just acting like it was the most natural thing in the world. And I just kind of stood there and I thought, it's life affirming. It doesn't get any better than that. You'll never have an interview with somebody that tops that moment because it's just, you know, <clears throat> full circle. It could come round. And I wrote it as my last column in the record when I left. And I wrote it in the book as a chapter, as a last chapter that Jim held up. And it still gets to me every time I talk about it, which is probably why I wrote it down. Because if I speak about it, I get kind of... And it's just one of those things that <clears throat> I, I adored Bobby Murdoch and I'd love to have seen him play. And Shangley said to Steen, didn't he, John, you're immortal when they won the European Cup. But the same goes for every husband line. Samson, Craig, Gamble, Murdoch, Clarkman, Hugh Johnson, all Chambers, Wallace, Lennox. In the case of Bobby Murdoch especially, they never die in the hearts they leave behind. And I think that's apt because I got to class him as a friend and 
as I said at the start, I, I felt a bit blessed by that. And my father's not an emotional man, but when he read that chapter and he read the column, he, <clears throat> he was like me, he was kind of lost for words a wee bit and he has it in a frame in the house. So I guess that kind of tells its own story. So that's my recollection of Bobby Murdoch and yeah, yeah, there you go. It's uh, You can hear it in me. Uh, glad I managed to keep it together. Just over to King Jim. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you've set yourself up now, Jim. Follow that. <laughs> no, I think we're very fortunate on this podcast to have someone as good as Tony Haggerty. And that was an extract from the book. Going to use a kick of the ball, mister. 599, all good bookshops. Brilliant story. <laughs> Brilliant football and how passionate people feel about football. I'm more the kind of factual person when it gets to kind of Bobby Murdoch. Who was the, what was the best Celtic team of all time? Lisbon Lions. Uh, who was the best manager? Jock Steen. What did Jock Steen say about Lisbon Lions? He thought Bobby Murdoch was the best player in the Lisbon Lions. So you can make an argument for saying that Bobby Murdoch was the greatest ever Celtic player on that basis. I know opinions are subjective, but that's kind of one way of looking at it. I think when Jock Steen came back in 65, he moved Bobby Murdoch back a wee bit and that changed his whole game. Uh, I think he's best remembered for a couple of goals, uh, one in Lisbon where maybe if he hit it a wee bit harder in a different direction, maybe that'd have been the goal that won the big cup in Lisbon uh, before Stevie Chalmers deflected it in. And the other goal would be the second goal against Leeds, uh, clinched the uh, semi-final game to get him to Milan. And that kind of iconic image as he stands at the corner flag with his hands raised. Uh, did he play many games for Scotland? I know that's a kind of contentious issue with a lot of Lisbon lines, but for me, the late 60s was a kind of high watermark for Scottish players. It was a hard, hard team to get into. And I was fortunate enough to see him score what I think is one of the best goals at Hamden for Scotland or for anyone. And uh, before we come on, I just checked YouTube, and it's on YouTube, so if you get a chance after the podcast, obviously. Uh, there's a wee two-minute clip. Scotland plays West Germany in uh, 1969, and Bobby scores the equaliser with just a couple of minutes to go. It's a brilliant goal. But uh, Tony Haggerty said, oh, you can't really follow Tony Haggerty. That's why I thought, let him go first and I'll try and follow him, but you can't do that. So, uh, That's good lies. start to the show. Actually, actually, she just stopped the show now after Tony spoke. Because you can't go any better than that. Stop there. But buy his book. It's brilliant. But Bobby yeah. Murdoch, I mean, I think it's just over 20 years since he passed away. There's not many Lisbon Lions left. So I think you should appreciate the Lisbon Lions while they're still there. So I got a clip of Bertie the other day on Twitter, singing away at home. Yeah. Um, with big hearts and stuff like that so treasure these guys treasure these guys yeah no I would I would I would echo that I mean obviously I too young to to have seen them play for obvious reasons too young to to even remember them very much uh, beyond you know who's who's left but I wanted to read this out from uh, 50s EK boy uh, on Twitter who sent me this last night it says it's Bobby. Went with my dad to watch him uh, and what turned out to be the Lions on a Saturday and then European games on a Wednesday. Almost 60 years have gone by. Wow. And I thought that just summed it up because I thought, you know, time marches on. Uh, we get new players in, uh, players leave. But like, like, like we've said, you're immortal in the hearts of those you leave behind and I can name that Lisbon Lion team as well as anybody that was there and watched it on that day. And uh, I'm sure my family going forward will be able to. And, and Bobby Murdoch is a symbol of that. It always interests me about Bobby Murdoch that, you know, as a young <clears throat> as a young child and stuff like that, you, you very much heard about Jinky and you heard about, uh, about McNeil and you heard about 
you know, uh, Lennox and Chalmers and, and Gemmo for scoring the goal. You didn't really hear about Bobby Murdoch until you got a bit older and you started talking to people about the intricacies of football and what it actually was like to play the game. And it was only then that I just started to appreciate, you know, what a player he must have been. So, um, and Tony, you've said before, I think you said in the book as well, Graham Soonis has a lot to, to, yeah. to praise him for. Yeah, I mean, Soonis says that Bobby Murdoch taught him how to play football. And also on the Middlesbrough website, I'm sure the Middlesbrough website uh, labelled Bobby Murdoch as world class and I think he's the only player that they, they give that accolade to. I mean, fantastic accolade, but Soonis loved him. Uh, absolutely adored him. And uh, he, t- he attributes Bobby Murdoch with uh, uh, you know, uh, teaching him how to play football properly. You know, so I, I think uh, credit where it's due there, you know, because I, I think uh, when he went to Middlesbrough, it hurt a lot of Celtic supporters, but he did really well and he was a he was a big hero down there. Jim might Absolutely. be able to tell me that a bit more, yeah. Hmm. I think it's uh, I think it's an indication of the impact he must have had both as a player and as a man. If somebody like Graham Soonis can can recognise that, so that's great. But uh, we'll move on from from what what we could sit and talk about all day. The nostalgia of of great times gone by and uh, back into the the gloom and doom of the present day uh, and the oh, current well, keep situation. Keep it positive, Laura. Keep it positive. Keep it positive. <laughs> we'll try and keep it positive. So what I'll do first is, what I'll do first is, we want to try and keep it positive. Now, there's been a lot of talk about Ange Postacoglu on on the podcast uh, this week. Um, Currently, we're no closer to understanding whether he's going to be manager. We we understand, though, that that Celtic are are believed to be seeking some sort of uh, approval from UEFA to appoint him, um, regardless of the fact he obviously doesn't have European qualifications, given the fact he's managed the last 20-odd years outside of Europe. Um, Jim, I'll come to you first about Postacoglu. What what have you learned about him in the last week? Assuming, of course, you hadn't heard of him before this time last week. And, uh, you know, what are the positives that you think might be coming from what you do know about him? I think it's welcome to another week of the Celtic pantomime where things can't get any worse. So, yes, they can. Uh, the Celtic board and the CEO and the season. The Celtic board and the chief executive, the Sleeping Beauties, are sitting in there again. Uh, another thing was, was Monday Club got a bit of a hard time uh, with, his, with his name. You get, you get a bit of a kind of hard time there, Tony and the guy. So just a bit of consistency. I think we should call him ENG, Ange, right? Because that sounds Australian to me. You know, so it's not Ange, it's Ange, right? So, and when he comes, we, we, we must call all the brother players uh, and all the backroom staff. If we get A's in their name, it's an E. So it's Gavin Strachan. And it's a, a, what's the guy I had there? Oh, what's his name? Uh, Elbina Yeti. You know, so we need to make sure we call him Ainge from, from now on in. Uh, no harm to guy. Uh, I've, like you guys, I've read all the stuff, watched all the videos. I haven't read the book yet, Laura. I believe you were halfway through the book and then chucked it. Or is that sort of the case? Well, I chucked it when I thought it was dead, but I picked it up again, so right. we'll see how it goes. Get back on. <laughs> so he seems like a decent guy. Uh, sounds like a good guy. He's achieved a lot in the game. Uh, people are looking at the standard of football that he's been involved in. But you can't argue with the fact he's achieved a lot of things. He appears a bit like a Ronnie Dyler type of guy, but Ronnie was, I think it was Ronnie was under 40 when he came, and uh, uh, Ainge is uh, 55. So, and not that I want to be ageist, somebody my age, but it seems a bit weird that nobody's kind of picked him up uh, after, after this length of time. If he comes, we give him our support because he's the man and we have to get behind him. 
I'm a bit surprised by what happened last week. We're all a bit surprised what happened last week with uh, Howe because I think we're all in the Howe bus. I don't understand what's happened subsequent to that. I don't understand how... I think the club, I think the statement, the club said something like uh, Eddie won't be joining because for reasons out with both his and Celtic's control. I think that's quite disingenuous. I think uh, yeah. last week I said on the podcast, because I checked it back before I wanted it, was that Celtic had no control. We conceded all the control to Eddie Howe. Everything was under his control. We had no control. If we wanted control... We could have then paid the compensation back when Neil Lennon left, given Bournemouth however much it was, one, two, three million, and then we get control of the situation. And because we hadn't control, all the controls with Eddie Howe. So he didn't come. He chose not to come. So it wasn't out with his control not to come. So I think that's quite disingenuous in terms of what they said. And also the fact, I can compare that without going all Kevin Graham on you, I can compare that to when you're looking to buy a house and you get out bids and there's that initial disappointment and then you start thinking about all the kind of negative things with the house and you think well it didn't have this and didn't have that and you convince yourself in actual fact maybe you were best not to have bought that particular house and then you hear other things and again we don't know the whole story because you're having to guess all this kind of stuff but if the story about was that one or two of the backroom staff that he wanted didn't want to come and that's why he didn't come we dodged a bullet with the guy because I can't imagine a Jock Steen or a Martin O'Neill saying that I can pick one backroom staff, but one or two don't fancy coming, so I'm not coming. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. I can't see that at all. I thought I was a. I thought today I was going to get another Mr. Haggerty line along the lines of a Celtic dugouts don't shrink to fit inferior managers. So I'll get that one in first if there's something like that. Uh, and then you go from something like that who I think you're given the keys to the house. You're virtually saying to Eddie Howe, here's your new house, go in and fill the rooms with whoever you want. On mm. you go and knock yourself out. And then the second choice, you're actually saying to him, here's the house and here's the room you're in. And here's John Kennedy's room and here's Gavin Strachan's room. You know, so you're kind of doing all that kind of stuff. So I don't get how we went from that to that. But I do get that because it's, not, it's another part of the pantomime type of thing. Uh, and then there's all the stuff with Fergal Harkin. 
that mm. I don't get as well. I mean, Fergal Harkin is loan and pathways manager. He's not a bank manager. He's a loan and pathway manager, right? What does that even mean, right? So we're after a director of football, and you think, you know, I say things like evidence-based. Why don't we go and get somebody who is a director of football? Because there are tons of these guys about. A lot of guys in the German Bundesliga. Go and get these guys. So I'm quite surprised at what we've done, and it's nothing against Ainge, nothing against him at all, right? Because I'm now thinking next season is such a huge season. Maybe we should have went for the short-term appointment. Maybe we should have went for a kind of Stevie Clark or a Mark Hughes or a Gordon Strachan or a Mark Neil because there's 30 to 40 million pounds at stake here. And if you think about the incompetence of the Sleeping Beauties on the Celtic board and Peter Law. Not winning the league this year could cost us 30, 40 million. Not winning the league next year could cost us 30, 40 million. Look at the devalue of the players that we have. How much is that costing us? And then you've got the farce this morning that I saw in our WhatsApp group that Jack Hendy is definitely away and they're going to flip him. They're going to flip Jack Hendy. It's a brilliant phrase, isn't it? They're going to flip. And we could have flipped Jack Hendy, but we didn't know flippage. Right? That's an issue I have. So we're going to lose four or five million pounds through a lack of flippage of Jack Hendy. And it just becomes more and more of a pantomime. But to keep it positive, because somebody commented a couple of weeks ago that I'm a pure misery on this. <laughs> and I thought that was a, and I thought that was a bit harsh. And then I thought, well, it's a miserable season. And all we do is comment on that. So I think miserable by association. And I thought, fair play, maybe I'm miserable. Maybe I need to be a bit more positive. So Ainge, he's the man. If he comes, we get behind him because there's no other alternative. And you can howl at this board as much as you want. They're not going to change. You know, they're not going to change. And if Ainge is a man, we all get behind him. Well, Positive, yeah. Yeah, no, and that actually uh, sort of leads on. I, I want to go back and talk about Jack Henry a bit more in that whole situation a bit later on. But Tony, to pick up on what, what Jim just closed out with, Jenny Murphy on YouTube um, has commented, Ange will be a disaster, and right next to that, Francie LW uh, has commented on Facebook I'm fully behind Ange or anyone who comes in you Ange. can surely yeah well you can surely hold both of those opinions at the same time can't you you can think he'll be a disaster but still back him well first and foremost as I said to you at the top of the programme I'm off the glue and the helium as people would say after Monday's show so I've calmed down a fair bit what <laughs> <laughs> I will say is I did go in studs up on Ainge Postacoglu, but I stand by my initial thoughts, right? And they are that I don't think that he should be anywhere near the Celtic job. And like Jim, I don't think it's time for a managerial experiment, especially when there's 35 to 40 million quid Champions League bounty at stake for the winners of the Premiership title this, this coming season. I want a safer, and at this moment in time, I want a safer pair of hands in the tiller. And if you're asking me what a safe pair of hands is, I agree with Jim. Somebody like Stevie Clark or Gordon Strachan. And, but in terms of Clark, I think Clark could steer you through the Champions League qualifiers. I really do. I'm still not enamoured by Ainge for the Cogos appointment, or imminent appointment, but I've got my head around it a bit more. I was more, it wasn't a downer on Poster Coglu per se, it was a downer on the processes that I brought Celtic to this point, as Jim said, the pantomime season. And after a hundred and more days, are you really telling me that Ainge Postacog was the best candidate for the Celtic managerial post? My own opinion is that I beg to differ. 
And also, going back to what Jim said about the board, Celtic manager's jobs are a highly coveted position, or it should be. But in this in the space of three years, the Celtic board and their members, you know who they are, they've taken it from the higher Brendan Rodgers to people now viewing it as a poison chalice. And see the public humiliation and the rejection that they're getting with various candidates or in or Dr. Lennon being washed in public as they're attempting to tie, you know, tie up any deals. It wouldn't surprise me if somebody like Clark, if they did approach him, told them to do one. That's the thing. That's the way it's all after Jim alluded to that the, the way the how business was conducted. And I, and I agree wholeheartedly. You know, my gut's telling me that Costa Cogba's appointment is going to be a massive risk and a calculated gamble. I just think Celtic at this moment in time and in, in the rebuilding process can all afford to take. But if he comes in, as Jim said, you have to get behind him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll do that because I'm a Celtic supporter. But I don't have to agree with the managerial choice, do I? No. You're talking to a guy who worked with Jim Trainer for the best part of 14 years, the day of record. I'll just leave that one there. Love you, Jim. I really do if you're watching. Love to the family. Uh, but I just want <laughs> I just want what's best for the club, <laughs> right, at all times. And I've just got doubts and serious reservations about Postacoglu. But the one thing he could do, right, if he comes in, is appoint his own management team, right? See, if he does that, I'll give him kudos right away and I'll say, OK, great, that's a great start. Because I, for the life of me, can't understand why John Kennedy and Gavin Strachan, who were part of the problem last season, how can they be part of the solution moving forward if what you're led to believe is true and this guy comes in? I kind of get my head around that. And as I say, I don't have a downer on Postacoglu per se because we've all read up on him now since last Friday and he has achieved and that's fine. But is he the best that Celtic could possibly get? I don't think so. No, and no, and I think I think that's all fair. I think... Um, I think... There's a lot of emotion dictated by how we feel about Celtic and how we feel about who they appoint. And anybody who sits and suggests that Ange Postacoglu would have been a choice for them before last Friday is not being entirely truthful because I think most of us hadn't heard of him. But I do like to, I do like to give him consideration to try and. Uh, investigate what might be good about him what might be bad about him and, and like like we've all said you know if he does end up becoming manager you give him your full back him rega- regardless but to, um, you see on Jim that point just, Laura Laura yes well, yeah just, on you go on that point sorry about him on, on that point I, think, I agree with Tony I mean you have to split this into two you have to think number one how do we get to this point mm. and where do we go from here so I was trying to be positive where we go from here he's the man we get behind him but the pantomime that led us to here, like, this is the bit we don't understand because there is no transparency. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that they can't tell us everything that's happened here. But Neil Lennon went, whenever he went, 100 days ago. So you're thinking as people who are outside the bubble, outside the football, how does it work? <laughs> what happens next? And I've got this vision of Peter Law sitting down and he's got a bit of paper and he's writing down names of managers. Tonight. And at the top of that list is something that Tony would always say, Go for the best possible. So Jurgen Klopp's at the top and Pep's up there as well. And you come down that list of people who you maybe get, who, who might think about the job or out of work, Mourinho or Benitez, who will never get, but they're on the list somewhere. And then you get to Eddie Howe and you get Davey Moyes. And all and then you get a second bit of paper and a third bit of paper and a fourth bit of paper. Where's Ainge on those four bits of paper? I don't think it appears on those four bits of paper. 
And that's the issue I have, and that's the issue Tony have, and you have, and everyone has. How do you get to this point? Don't understand that at all. And your mm. first two choices are so dramatically different in terms of structure, in terms of vision, in terms of strategy. The first guy gets the keys to the house. The second guy gets the keys to a flat within the house. That's the bit I really, really don't get. And it's just, you know, systematic or symptomatic, sorry, of the shambles that, that we have had. But I think once the big man's appointed, we just we just have to move on. And, yeah. and that was my frustrations on Monday that boiled over, basically. Yeah. That, that's exactly uh, what you've just encapsulated. That's the way I was feeling, you know, and, and, and I, I, still, I, I stand by everything that I said on Monday. I still do, but as I just said there, I did couch it by saying, if he is the man, then you have to get behind him because it's what you do as a supporter. But it doesn't mean you have to like everything that the club do, you know, and, and as you say, I, I, I'm, I'm utterly bewildered how it's got to this point. I'm just totally and utterly bewildered and they will never tell you how it's got to this point, but there has to be some kind of transparency or, or communication moving forward. You know, they were quick to communicate yesterday that they'd had a waste strip for sale, didn't they? A very nice one. As you yeah, said, Tony, <laughs> as you said, Tony, before, it's a high-risk appointment and we shouldn't be in a position no. where we're having to make high-risk appointments because Neil Lennon was a high-risk appointment, yeah. you know, which worked out well for the first season and then fell flat in the second season. And I think, you know, who knows what's going to happen in the future. But if the big man does fail, then I think I'd be sympathetic to because I'm sure he'll come in and he'll do the best he possibly can. Yeah. Uh, and if the best he possibly can isn't quite good enough, I don't think he'll get the blame. I think Peter Lowell and Dermot Desmond will get the blame. Unless he makes a, a complete mess of things, unless he comes in and does a lot of silly things, I think he's got, you know, I don't think we'll be as harsh on him because it's a bit of a poison chalice. You know, in terms yeah. of expectations next year, I don't expect Champions League football. So I'm not going to blame Ainge if we don't get into the Champions League. The league's a bit different. I think there is time to get a kind of half-decent team together and we've only one main rival. And maybe if that first game at Ibrooks as a bit later in the season, maybe the seventh, eighth game, that gives us enough chance, I think, to get together. But it'd just be like the computer and the Scottish League to give us eyebrows in the second game of the season. So uh, I think the league's different. Uh, but I think if Ainge got us into the Champions League, that'd be astonishing. That would be absolutely astonishing if he did that. I only put it in record that I don't want this guy to fail. I just don't particularly want him to be the manager of a Celtic football club. But if he comes in, I'm, I don't wish him out. I want them to be a no, no, boring no. feet scoring, never boring success. You know what I mean? So I mean, that's yeah. that's the bottom line. But I, I, somehow in the vortex of, of after Monday, people thought I had a, a total downer on him. I, you know, part mm -hmm. of our podcast is is listening to what people say, and I, I mm -hmm. over the course of Monday, I did say if he comes in, I would back him. So and it looks like he's coming in. Fine. Do I like it? No. High risk. Yeah. Fine, my gut's telling me that it, it might be it might be wrong. Uh, but we won't know any of these things till he lines up on the first day of the season, or if he's allowed to, uh, and his team start playing. So I'll I'll actually judge any ability that he has once his Celtic team start playing and the ball rolling and he's in charge of the team. So that's when I'll I'll make more sounder judgments. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's fair enough. Um, Jim, I'll come to you on this first. Let's let's go a few steps ahead and and, and assume that he does come in, that he does uh, that he does become Celtic manager within the next few weeks. The rumours are that 
you know, there's a suggestion that that might be without other backroom staff that he has chosen, that he might be in a position where he's made to work with the backroom staff that are already at the club. Is that something that can work, do you think? In my opinion, I think you've got to split John Kennedy and Gavin Strachan up. Right. I think they do two different things. Right. And again, we don't really know what's going on behind the scenes. I feel for John Kennedy, he's also a very mentally tough guy. Uh, as a player, he had to come through, you know, absolute tragedy what happened to John Kennedy. I mean, John Kennedy would have, could have been the next Billy Meneal, Roy Aitken. You know, could have been there for years with David Marshall in that team. Maybe Steve McManus coming in. He could have achieved what Scott, what Scott Brown achieved, possibly. And all that was, you know, and one bad tackle taken away from him, one horrendous tackle taken away. So I think this club has stopped by John Kennedy. And I think he's been under the radar a wee bit because things were going well. And as we know, over the last year, uh, things have been exposed, things are not going well. So I think fans start to ask questions. What is he doing and what, what's he doing? It's a kind of Peter Law syndrome. You know, everything is okay. Just leave Peter alone. <laughs> things are going badly. What are you actually doing here? So from a John Kennedy point of view, he was given his chance at the end of the season. People spoke highly about him. Roger spoke highly about him. The players seemed to like him, etc. And he kind of failed the audition for me. I think his first few games, I thought they get incrementally a bit better. Didn't lose as many goals. Made a heart full of chances. Maybe couldn't score them, but they seemed to get a bit better. And then the three big games was when he get judged. If he'd have won the three big Glasgow derbies, people would look at him differently, I think. But he failed those three auditions. First Glasgow derby, the last half hour, the game was there to be won against a team who were dead in their feet didn't bother going for it another two games ho-hum and then his last few games in charge was totally uninspiring so I think he has to leave Celtic to become a better manager uh, and then maybe when he shows what he can do then maybe someday in the future comes back Gavin Strachan I think is different uh, he's one of the few guys to get a pass in that internal review I don't know what he does but whatever he does he get a pass and because I think maybe he came from a small club like Peterborough, people may have thought, well, he's not from Chelsea or Man United, Peterborough, a small beer. But apparently it was him that uh, recommended Ivan Tony. So obviously he knows a player. But if his job is to provide what I maybe call real-time in-game analysis, that's why his laptop's there. He's there to give advice to the to the manager. Or the co- I don't think he's coaching the team. I don't think he's up there shouting the ball on the team. He's sitting there with his laptop and he's analysing the game as it goes, and he got a pass in that review. So he must be doing his job well. I think he's a different case. And I would keep him just for the sake of saying Gavin Strachan. This is, I'm obviously getting into this now. Uh, so, so that's my kind of my views of the two. Then I think John Kennedy has to go. Gavin can, can stay. And I think Ainge can then bring in a John Hughes or somebody like that who knows the Scottish game rather than John Kennedy. That's my opinion. Mm. Tony, um, Jim's taking that very much on the sense of like what Gavin Strachan and, and John Kennedy can can uh, bring to the team, but in a wider sense, do you think do you think Ange coming and having to work with them could work, or do you think that's already setting the guy up for failure? I think that's the first victory he has to achieve. Telling Celtic that he won't work with these guys. Mm. As I alluded to earlier, their part of the last season was miserable failure. You know, and I get what Jim's saying there. I, I have always said that Kennedy has to go and flourish somewhere else. Hmm. He just has to, that time has come. You know, he got his chance, his addition, 10-game addition, whatever it was, 
failed that miserably. But the Gavin Strachan thing is an interesting one because there was various moments in the season when it cut to Gavin Strachan and he had the, the laptop out and he was talking to players. And there was one particular instant when he was talking to Lee Griffiths and Griffiths was disinterested. And there was yeah. a couple of other instances when he was talking to players and these players just weren't listening to him. don't know if it was a disrespect thing or whatever, but in the vortex of the shambles of the season, I thought that was quite telling when it cut to him a couple of times and he had the laptop and you, you guys there that probably didn't want to be there. So they just want to take on board anything that anybody was saying. Just to clarify that, so are you saying either that that's because of what he's saying to them or do you think it's a bad attitude on their part? I don't know, but it, it kind of looks like a bit of both, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, the, the, the Lee Griffiths one was particularly telling. I mean, he stood there talking to Lee Griffiths for at least two or three minutes, and I don't even think Griffiths looked up and acknowledged the fact that he was talking to him. No, I don't know what role Gavin Strachan does at Celtic. I don't know if he's good, bad or indifferent, but he's part of this malaise this season because he mm-hmm. was part of the backroom staff. So if I'm and Postacoglu, I want a total clear-out. And that would be one of my stipulations, to say, no, you're not foisting these guys upon me. I want my men. And and if he does that, then, as I say, they would get real kudos. He would be off to a good start because you want your own men around you. You know, you don't want to be dictated to because then people will see that as a sign of weakness already. Mm-hmm. Nothing has to demand that. You know, I think Eddie Howe demanded it, didn't he? And it yeah. was a it was a problem with those staff or someone in, in that kind of building block that wouldn't come in and then the, the deal fell through. We'll never really know, but I think that was part of it. So I, I think if Postacoglu has to come in, then he has to say right away, I want my own men. I do not want these guys. You know, it will be on my head and my watch, but I want to do it my way. And I think that's a, I think that's a fair enough ask of any new managers coming in you know, the manager has every right to say, I want my own staff. You cannot give me your staff. I, I, you know, I don't know them, don't want to work with them. I think that's I think that's fair enough. He has to get that nailed down right away before he mm-hmm. does anything. Um, I, I totally agree. I think I think it needs to be a fresh cut. I said that from a while back. I got a hard time when I said that about Scott Brown and about other people that I think it needed to be a totally fresh start next season and I think that would benefit us but Jim just to pick up on some of what Tony said there about you know I was looking I I spoke to you last night about you know obviously the whole John Kennedy thing and I was trying to look for because I'd heard people mentioning the phrase you know job for life and obviously the fact that such a horrendous thing happening to him at such a young age made Celtic feel in some way responsible for for keeping him employed uh, going forward but I couldn't actually see anything that directly said that but one thing I did find was an interesting article that said if he has another appointment beyond this current interim manager post um, that would be his 8th appointment during his uh, non-playing career so he was a scout in 2010 um, an under-19 coach 2011-12 a development coach from 2011-14 to first team coach first under Ronnie Dyla in 2014 um, and then under... um, subsequent managers up to 2019 and then assistant manager from 2019 to to until he became interim manager do you think well two questions do you think Celtic are acting in a way that suggests they do have an obligation to the guy and and also 
if they are acting in that manner, do you think it is something that's holding us back from from really getting who and what we want out of the coaching staff? That's a hard question. Uh, mm. I think he's, he's like Gavin. I think he's guilty by association last year. Mm. So her end of season, he's part of the problem because he's sitting in the dugout there. What if he won the league last season? What if he did the 10? I think people would be comfortable with John Kennedy being the new manager. So it was that season that blew things up, blew things up for a lot of people. It exposed a lot of people. Maybe they're not as good as they thought they were. But I don't think, I think he's been there long enough now. I don't think they owe John Kennedy anything else. Uh, they've given him the tools to go out and be a good manager, a good coach somewhere else. And I think it's time they took that opportunity. Uh, mm. I'd like to think that he's there on merit and all the things that he's done. You'd like to think that every single employee at Celtic Park from the top to the bottom, are there in merit. Because if they're not there in merit, that's a problem. I don't care how, li- how high or how low that job is. <coughs> Everyone has to be there on merit. So I'm assuming that he's there on merit. Uh, and as I said a minute ago, I just think it's time for him to maybe find pastors new. Mm-hmm. I think he's well thought of within the game. And I think when you move is quite important. The timing of when you move, what kind of jobs tend to come up. So something like the Ross County job, would have been an ideal job from I think, you know, mm. the Dundee United job could have been a good job from. Uh, he was he was uh, was not kind of in the frame for the Hibs job before Jack Ross got it. Yeah, that's you know, right. So, yep. so so maybe like a lot of things this season, that's kind of like worked against him in terms of his stock. But if he's been at Celtic Park for that long, doing a range of jobs, which is really good. You know, I'm not a big fan of managers going straight from being playing to being a manager. It's good for them to serve their time. So he's got a good range of knowledge throughout the whole club. So I think that's a good thing to have. Mm. And I just think at this particular point in time, it's maybe a time for him to go out and earn his spurs somewhere and show how good he is. You know, go and manage Dundee United and win the Scottish Cup. And you think, wow, he's actually got a bit about him there. And then maybe yeah. further down the line, somebody to bring back. But I think... Uh, Age, 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 we will need somebody who knows the Scottish game. Uh, and I wouldn't be uh, bothered if we get somebody like a John Hughes, as I said earlier, somebody who, obviously a Celtic-minded person who's played for the team, he's thought of well. I think he just needs that person to, to kind of be there. I don't think that person is John Kennedy. And to back up my pal Gavin, I just think that, uh, I don't know what he does, but he seems to do it well. So I, I think it would be hard to judge someone if you don't know exactly what they do. And that's why I think I would, I would give him a pass in terms of, because if Ainge comes in and finds out actually that Gavin is doing a really, really good job, then I don't think there's any harm in keeping him. Mm-hmm. Um, Tony, Jim picks up on an interesting point. Um, I was actually, when I was doing a bit of research before we talked about um John Kennedy today. Uh, I did read a, a, an interview he did with a Scotsman, I think about a year ago um, or maybe two years ago, where he was talking about the, how flattered he was to have been approached about the Hibs job. And he said, and um, he said in response to it, he says, I've made steady progress in terms of where I've come from, recruitment, academy and now first team. There's always been progression for me and that's important and I've worked with very good managers. If that stalls and things become a bit stale, I would have to review it, but I've never come to that point and I'm very happy in my current role. When I read that, I thought to myself, are things not stale now for him? Has he not achieved everything he possibly can achieve? 
and everything up to an assistant manager role, would this not be the right time for him to to put himself out there in the market for a role? I, I think he has to for his own sanity as well. I mean, I, I get slaughtered for saying when John Kennedy took the interim manager's role, I said, if John Kennedy's a manager, he's be kept it well hidden. <laughs> and I still kind of maintain that. I, I don't... There's a lot of skill set there, supposedly, but I just don't see it manifesting itself in anything good for Celtic. I don't really know in terms of coaching and managing what what he's really achieved at Celtic. You know, he's been there and he's had some kind of influence, but, you know, and he's highly regarded. But whenever you ask someone about somebody, oh, they always kind of big them up. They always say, you know, it was like when journalists were asked to do backgrounders and players, and you'd find somebody to talk about somebody was going to sign. No, nobody in the history of football ever said, don't sign that player, he's Edward Scissorfeet, he's got two left feet and they're both the wrong way round. Mm. Nobody ever said that. You came away thinking, Celtic has just signed Pelly. This guy's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Or Rangers are signing a, a, a wonder, a wonder player, you know, a wonderful player. Mm. You, you always leave you with that impression that they, they're tremendous at what they do. So when you speak to people about John Kennedy, you, you're that slant or that narrative is that he's very good at what he does. Yet the proof in the pudding is a Celtic supporter. You think, what, what is it that you actually do? You've had many roles and and being cynical, I would say he's had that many roles because there's no actually fitted into one. He's not actually found the right one yet. And if he really does want to become a manager in football, then he has to go elsewhere because at this moment in time it's not what Celtic need he, he is not the answer to Celtic's problems so as Jim says go and earn your spurs somewhere else put yourself out there be hungry to get a managerial role somewhere else even if it is down south in League One or the Championship or whatever but go and prove your worth to Celtic somewhere else in the hope that you might return one day and assume to that position because it is unfair to judge him in those 10 games because the season was gone. But he had a chance to stamp his authority and stamp his mark and put a John Kennedy Celtic team out there. And he didn't do that. I mean, we spoke about with the team selections and stuff. That's your chance. Call it an addition, call it what you like. People say, oh, it shouldn't be an addition. But it kind of was his addition. Mm. Go and turn around and say, do you know what? This is, I'm John Kennedy, this is my Celtic team. Play the likes of uh, Karamoko and things like that. We, we spoke about it time and time again. Mm-hmm. That, you know, the season had gone, so there was no constraints there. Yet, he reverted to type, and that disappointed you. And that led a lot of people to believe, has he got it at managerial level? Conjecture mm-hmm. now, probably not. So... Mm-hmm. I think that's what disappointed a lot of the Celtic supporters. And I think, as you said as well, there's timing and everything in your career. And I think it's time John Kennedy left Celtic. I think Celtic, as Jim said, they've more than paid their dues with regards to John Kennedy. Gavin Gavin Strachan is just a total unknown quantity for me. And just because it is death by association with him because of last season, and that's maybe unfair. But if someone should tell me, come out and say, this is what he actually does and it's very good, then there could be a case, as Jim says, for him to get a pass and that, that he can stay. 
Yeah. I think also, no, Laura, if you look yeah, at, sorry, Jim, you you in, sorry about in again. I think if you put yourself in John Kennedy's shoes, when he's appointed the interim manager of Celtic, that's what he's been working for for the past 10 years. That's the pinnacle. How excited must he have been to say, I'm getting a chance to stamp my image on this team. We're going to be like Tony Haggerty's free-flowing blah, blah, blah. We're going to do this. And what do we get? We get kind of risk-averse, played safe, anodyne at times, uninspiring. He blew it. Hmm. He blew it. There was nothing at stake. The league was finished. Go and make a name for yourself. Take a chance. Go for it. Right. You know, it, didn't, it, just, it just didn't do it. And, and that, just to echo what Tony just said there, that for me, thought I thought, nah, it's better to go somewhere else. And also possibly that when Ainge comes, he might see John Kennedy as somebody as a bit of a threat. You know, that if mm-hmm. Ainge fails, then John Kennedy steps in. So that's why maybe want someone else. Because I think, as I said, I think Gavin does a completely different job altogether. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm i starting to come to that conclusion myself about Gavin Strachan and I think it's a fair point. You can't really understand what he did. The only thing is, you know, it didn't really change very much of, of what had happened before. But um, Bromsgove Boy on Twitter, and thanks everybody for your comments on Twitter, Facebook, on YouTube, we, we see them all coming through. But he says... Big Jock went to Pars and then Hibs must learn elsewhere before any possible return. So, yep. you know, I'm sure he's not saying that uh, John Kennedy is the next Jock Steen. Uh, nobody would, but um, but the point is there. And, and Scott Brown's taking that on board. He's, he's leaving the Celtic bubble to go and experience something else somewhere else and, uh, and hopefully, you know, advance in his career before any potential return that, that I'm sure will happen at some point in the future so I think it's a fair point to make and I think if John Kennedy was uh, you know had the ambition to become his own man I think as he said in that article I was talking about uh, then then now would be the right right time to do that um, but we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens the, the last topic I did want to come on to um, was one that we talked about earlier on um, Jack Kent Jack Hendry uh, had an outstanding season at Oostend uh, by all accounts uh, I don't watch much of the Belgian league but my understanding is that he was really an outstanding player for them and you know showed a side of his game that we unfortunately have been unable to see at Celtic now whether that's because he just never displayed it or because he wasn't given enough of a chance after a few few bad appearances we, we'll never really know but um, some of the the sort of well-respected uh, sources on online and things like that are suggesting that there is a done deal for him to extend for about 1.3 million. That's nothing that the club have confirmed, but you know, if we carry on the conversation, assuming that that has happened, Tony, I said, I said in the group chat, and I said to you before as well, you know, extend. We're doing exactly what we plead for Celtic to do. They were acting like a big club getting their business done and as Jim alluded to earlier, potentially because they think they can get him on the cheap now and pending a couple of good performances at the Euro, potentially sell him on for an inflated price. Surely somebody with the business mind of Peter Lowell or somebody at Celtic would have seen that as an opportunity to do the exact same thing, even if you discount the fact that based on his performances last season, maybe he still had a role at Celtic to play. It's utterly staggering that Celtic will allow that to happen. But again, Jim said it, pantomime season, it doesn't surprise you, does it? Mm. Absolutely doesn't surprise you. And what I will say about Jack Henry is, yep, hasn't said the hell of the light since he came to Celtic, but Brendan Rodgers saw something in him that he thought was worthwhile 
one and a half million quid for, or whatever it was they paid for him. I think it was one and a half. You know, so uh, I know Brendan didn't always get it right in the transfer market, but you know he saw something in him. <coughs> and see if that's what your your mo is. We're banged about on about this for a few pods as well. See if you were signing the best players from other teams. He was one of the best young players at Dundee. You have to nurture that. He was kind of thrown to the wolves a wee bit. Jack Henry came into the team and and he had a couple of bad performances, but it's up to the club to lift him and and maybe sometimes play somebody through a bad spell just yeah. to get them used to that winning mentality or success or demands of a club like Celtic. Sometimes you have to just play your way out of it and play your way through it. And the only way you're going to get that experience is to play, you know, and play in those big games and, yep, going to make mistakes because you're raw, you're young. But if if somebody sees something in you that maybe worthwhile persevering, and I watched him the other night for Scotland, scored a lovely goal, but he was posted missing for the equaliser. Mm. So there was the good and the bad of Jack Hendry. But you say, you say to yourself, well, if this is Usten's plan, Celtic should have had a fail safe plan with it as well. No, and maybe gave him a chance to come back and show what he can do. Or if that's the case, let him go to the Euros. And if somebody wants to bid a, a sum of money for him because he impresses, then no cut your losses. Mm. Oh, my goodness, if they if they concluded that deal to Ustend and Jim says Ustend flip it, then another slap in the face and an embarrassment for Celtic again. Um, yeah, Jim. Do you do you think that's the intention there, or do you think they were just trying to tie the guy down before a bigger club came in, given how good a season he had for them last season? I don't know how these things work. I don't mm. know how most things work, and that's why we're kind of guessing at some of this stuff. But the words I used before are things like strategy and vision and all this kind of stuff. So, so whatever deal was signed didn't look a particularly clever deal in terms of the timing of that deal. And again, I don't know enough about how these contracts work, but one would have thought you would try and stack all these things in your favour. So if this bad thing happened, you were okay. That bad thing happened, you were okay. So, you know, maybe giving that team the first option to buy Jack Henry as opposed to letting them buy Jack Henry before a certain point in time. Uh, I don't think we'd be having this chat if with Big Virgil and Mialbi and Baldy playing at the back. I think we'd be saying mm. if Jack Henry wants to go somewhere, then on you go. But yeah, this this idea that this team might flip, then we were having that chat in the, the Axholm Cult group chat this morning and, and the point uh, Lord and Master Paul was making was that that's how he sees this going, that they bought Henry for one and a half, he's going to have a good Euro and then they'll flip him for five million to, to Leeds. But what that but I don't, what I, I then said was you're not looking at it from the Celtic board point of view. What they're banking on is a terrible Euros and we'll buy them back for five hundred grand. Because that's our strategy, right? Yeah, that's our point of view. That's how we play things completely back to front. As I said, I don't know how that deal is constructed, but we can't keep constructing deals like that because we're gonna lose money. And getting back to my you know, lost thirty, forty million potential this year, next year. You know, we've lost three or four million pounds on Jack Henry. You know, I think that's quite quite bizarre mm. that we're going to lose money on Jack. It's just it's just totally bizarre. But part of the pantomime season. The thing is, any, any deal Celtic are doing right now just seems to be a bum deal, doesn't it? 
Mm. And who's doing it? Who's actually doing the deals? Exactly, and who's conducting it? Tony, I think it's a it's a big indication of the circus that, that Jim alluded to earlier in in the show that you know we're even fretting over how business for for Jack Hendry was done. If you told me at the beginning of the season that that was going to be something that we were doing, I would have I would have probably laughed to be honest. Well, of course. I mean that that's the thing. It's you know and you know what it's a worry that we're going into. Well, less than 50 days from a Champions League qualifier. Mm-hmm. All we see right now is players going out the door, or players possibly heading out the door. And you say to yourself, well, who's actually going to be left? If Ainge Postecoglou comes in, who, who's going to be there to greet them <laughs> in, the training, in the training ground? You know, what players are going to be there? So, as you say, Jack Kenny, maybe not a, a serious starter, but he was someone who could have come back into the fold and given another chance. Mm. Now that might not happen. And obviously there's also Chris Iyer rumours as well that he's gone. So you've got a gaping hole in your defence. Yeah. If those two go straight off the bat. And we have got limited time to conclude any deal to bring players in. You know, we, we might still be waiting on the manager to, to get his uh, proper licence and also quarantine issues as well well this is going to go right down to the wire in terms of Celtic actually fielding a team mm. or else this is all down to go on Jim this, this is all down to one bad decision back in October November where they had the chance to stick or twist and yeah. they stuck and by sticking and not twisting everything has followed on from that the domino effect for domino that, effect, and, that yeah. and, and, and they've sat back and watched it unfold. Yeah. It's, it's totally unreal how this is played out. Yeah. It bewilders you, doesn't it? It's staggering. It you. You, it know, does, you, it you know, in any other job or occupation or profession, you would be sacked for that, <laughs> for presiding over that, that period from October to now. And how you can go over 100 days and still not have a manager when your season kicks off in less than seven weeks, it, it's entirely beyond me. And that's that's the point that we're making. It's it's the processes that have led us to this point, which Celtic supporters are up in arms about. And there's so there's no strategy, and there's no vision, and there's no form of planning. They are flying by the seat and doing that with their fingers in the hope that this guy comes in and everything's hunky dory and great. And by some fluke or by some chance, they win the title. Had to check what you were doing with your fingers there, Tony. (laughs) (laughs) Also, you you must wonder what Don Mackay thinks of this. You know, is he sitting at the end of Peter Law's desk making them tea, thinking, here we go again, here we go again, here we go again. I mean, Mm. I can't imagine that he's actually doing anything or making any decisions because Peter Law's still there. So one must assume that the people who decided to stick and not twist back then are still making those decisions. If I was Dominic McKay, I'd be thinking, have I done the right thing here? Get an old I've job back. Yeah. I've got a picture of Dominic McKay with those metal ball burns. It's funny that you bring up um Nobody dunk Dom- it for you, Pisa. <laughs> It's funny, Jim, that you bring up Dom McKay, because you've said before and I, I spoke to somebody on Twitter who mentioned that, you know, they said that a negative of the current situation is that we've got a pretty silent new CEO. 
um, you've said before, I think, that you know, a positive of a CEO, specifically if we end up with a successful one, is that they're silent. What we don't want going forward is is a, a CEO that sticks the road in as much as the previous one has if it's going to be to the detriment of the club, surely? I think he's in a difficult position. I don't think he, I don't think he can do anything. I think he's just observing this stuff. As I said, I've got this vision of Peter Lowe at his big desk and Dominic's other side and I'm just watching him. Good grief. Charlie Brown, good grief, good grief. What have you done? Jack Henry, they're going to flip him. Really? Oh, goodness. When are you going, Peter? Is it soon? Is it soon? If I want your seat... I want to sit in your seat because we're no more flippage is going to happen. Once I'm sitting in that seat, you know, we're going to bigger cup of tea, we're going to better biscuits, we're going to, we're going to take over the world. I just, you know, I've got no idea what he must be thinking, observing that. Because one assumes he's a clever man. Mm-hmm. Must be a clever man to get to that point. And just, I mean, and he'll be looking at the last, you know, eight months to be looking at it. Of course he's mm-hmm. going to be doing that because he wants to figure out what happens next. Where does he go with this? Because... Where things have went wrong is because the current chief executive has gotten himself involved in uh, footballing matters, which he's not really meant to do. And one hopes that Dom Mackay comes along and if it's if it's Ainge, says to Ainge, here's your transfer budget for this year, you get, you know, ten million pounds, you know, and if you bring any money in, that gets added to the poet, and I'm willing to up the wages bill by five million a year, and if you get rid of somebody, you can add that to the poet. And then it's up to you, Ainge, to go away and do that, and I'll not be involved again. It's up to you, pal. On mm. you go. But as I alluded to in some of the previous podcasts, that having read Jock Brown's book, and you realise how complex doing all these things are, so who helps Ainge to actually do all this kind of stuff? It shouldn't be Don Mackay. One assumes we've got some sort of legal person in there, mm. contractsy person in there, but who knows? <laughs> because all these people have left. You know, and there's a big Ainge fella meant to be doing all the contracts himself. <laughs> you know, yeah. You know, it's, you know, he's sitting there yeah. with, like, with screens of just, just tons of people and going through all this legal ease and his Australian accent. Good day, what's that? <laughs> uh, it's, a guess, it's a guessing game at this point, that's for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Tony, we'll try and end things in a positive. We'll try yeah. and end things in a positive. What, what, what are your thoughts on the new strip? <laughs> the new strip? Yeah. Uh, it's all right, isn't it? It's, um, it's pretty smart. I, I've got to say, I've, I've not owned a Celtic top for a long, long time. In fact, I only, only own one when that was given to me as a gift by the boys at the record. They, they got Scott Brown and Neil Lennon to sign it, and that was that was my parting gift. Excellent. And, I, and as I left, I did say to them, for the for the avoiders of doubt, I did tell them all, finally, I was a Celtic supporter, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Outed. It's just in case in a kind of Scooby-Doo style, you know, but, you know, I, I've never been a, I always, uh, <laughs> I laugh, you know, because I, I have this theory that football strips should be sold to people 18 years and under. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but that's just me, you know, I just sort of, I see this guy, goes, you're a grown man and a grown woman, you know, you shouldn't be wearing something like that. But just, you know, if I hadn't been given that as a gift, I, I don't own any, Celtic strips, but I think it's quite smart. It's uh, yeah, it's it's. But the problem is the the whole cynic in me with a cynical marketing ploy to get you on side again. No, buy this lovely strip. It's marvelous, you know. And mm. We are voucher, which doesn't even cover the cost of the strip, you know. Well, yeah. I uh, I, I all kind of I'm very 
anti-merchandise at the minute and that kind of cynical way to get you part of your cash. But in terms of the strip, it's nice. It's actually the kind of same shade of green as this shirt that I've got on. So, but Very no, nice. It looks smart. I'll give it that. But with hopefully, back, hopefully it can bring us some good luck. Well, anyway. Uh, I heard somebody mention that they thought it looked rather Australian in colour, but uh, we'll not we'll not go into that. <laughs> um, thanks everybody for watching today. It's been it's been a good show again. We've uh, had plenty to discuss. Uh, unfortunately, not the announcements that we w- we would hope for. You never know. For the millionth time, I'll say maybe this time next week. Uh, but thanks again for everybody watching on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Really appreciate your comments, and we will see you again soon. and data rates may apply. Guys, got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. That's E-A-S-Y to 203203. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives gives you access to all every audience live conversations trusted influencers and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company go to iHeartResults.com for more sports social podcast network sports social podcast network sports social podcast network sports social podcast network Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network.